0: Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. Hi, Brad. Hi, Grayson. Uh, I'm excited about today's show. You know
1: I'm always excited.
0: Okay, so today we're going to talk about how do you know how much to pay for an asset? What's the price
1: you're willing to pay? And it, this is important, right? This is extremely important. It's arguably the most important thing and it, probably what you should be spending 90% of your time on is trying to think about what is this asset worth?
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, when you, usually when you're buying an asset, a company or a piece of real estate, somebody's selling that. And I would say 9.5 times out of 10, price is the most important variable they're looking at. Probably not the only variable, but definitely the most important.
1: It, it obviously depends on what type of strategy you're going for. If you're buying a bond, then the price or the yield that you're getting is the only thing that's important. But if you're buying a it's a venture capital investment, then price might not be as important as the growth opportunities for that company.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, when there's sometimes when there's incredible amount of certainty for what you're going to make off this thing. Price is probably pretty narrowly bound and then you pretty, you know what you're going to pay for it. And if there's a ton of uncertainty, like you have no idea what you're going to get out of this, you're just hoping it's going to be big. Um, you know, maybe the price is just what it takes to get the deal done. But we kind of play in the middle there with real estate and private equity where price turns out to be pretty important.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's what we focus on. Were you on. sleeping? I was. I, <laughs> I just checked out. Yeah. It's arguably the you know the only thing that I focus on on a day-to-day basis in terms of evaluating asset is what am I going to pay for this thing? Because I need to know, am I going to be able to return a satisfactory yield or IRR to the investors?
0: Okay. Why don't we start off with how you think about how much to pay for an asset, Brad, in the real estate world? walk us through, you find an investment opportunity in the real estate world. You know, you got the numbers in front of you. Walk us through, how do you how do you figure out how much you want to pay for it?
1: Yeah. So returns are not absolute. Most people want to hear, oh, what cap rate, which is just the, the yield before leverage or debt, right? What uh, return are you kind of willing to, to buy deals at? And unfortunately, it's not as easy as just saying, oh, I only buy eight cap rate deals because it depends on the market. But just to back out, From that. I usually think about what is the likelihood that we're gonna hit our return goals by year two with this asset. And I try to price the deal to that, right? So if I need a ten percent return, not is
0: is that and is that right? Is that about what you're looking for is a ten percent return on your properties?
1: Yeah, I would say that's kind of the median, right? If you're going in riskier places, you want to go higher. But if you're going in, you know, California market, you can obviously go lower. It depends on on where that asset's located. But that's a, that's a pretty good target because you want to think about if I implement the business plan, right? Can I get to a 10% unlevered yield, which then gets me to a high teens, you know, low 20s uh, return on a on a levered basis? And which what's is talk about what
0: what's unlevered versus levered?
1: Just make sure. Levered people- is with debt. So that's a mortgage in real estate, or unlevered is just without debt. So if you paid a, for the asset 100 percent cash, then whatever that property kicked off from a cash flow standpoint, that would be your unlevered yield. Yeah.
0: Okay. So okay. So yeah, year two because the first year you buy it, you're going to be fixing things up. You're going to be painting the houses. You're going to be trying to get more people to you know fill up unoccupied space, right? You're get, so you, you give raise yourself the a rent. Year. You
1: yeah. do some capital projects. Right, there are some basic things in real estate that you can do to turn the dial up on profits.
0: Mm-hmm. So you hope, but you're you're thinking by year two, we're we're kind of at where we're probably going to be steady state for this thing. So let's look at the returns that year.
1: Yeah, and there's some guys that look at real estate where. Hey, I am basing that decision on what I can sell this for in year three, and I never do that. That's not my game because so you don't I, you don't think about the sale price at all. I, not until well, that's not true. I think about it about year seven or year ten, and I think about it knowing that I have zero idea what interest rates are going to be and where the market's going to be at in year seven or ten. Just like frankly, I you know nobody really knows where the market's going to be in year three. You have a higher likelihood that it's going to be similar to what it is today. But three years from now, the world can change. Yeah. So okay. I think that's a very risky way to think about investing. Uh, and I don't play in that space. I play in more longer-term investments.
0: Okay. So then let's – let's why don't we do an example here to make it real? So, okay, you find a uh, commercial office property. It's in yep. um, – you, you know, it's 85% occupied. It's, uh, there's some, I don't know. It's the, sh- you know, the shutters are, are hanging off. So you're like, All right, I'm going to fix the shutters.
1: What kind I'm of like- office property's got shutters? I don't right? know, are but it's, in- it's cute. It's, yeah. it's it are would have been
0: cute the- if the shutters were hanging properly. We're like in the Florida Keys here. Where- <laughs> Maybe. Okay. So it's 85% occupied. You're like, look, I think I can get this thing to 90% occupied by year two. So you can do some math to figure out how much uh, cash that property is going to throw off. And so let's say that by year two, you think this property is going to be throwing off $1 million in cash or net operating income. So start with that and back us into how much you'd be willing to pay for that. Yeah, so
1: ideally I'd like to pay you know, $10 million to get a $1 million in, uh, in unlevered cash. Okay. So that's the 10%. That's the 10%. I, that would be ideal, right? That that's a great outcome.
0: Okay. Got it. That makes, that's, I mean, that's pretty simple math, right? So yeah. it's going to throw off a million bucks. Uh, I'm willing to pay, you know, I want to make sure that million bucks is 10% on whatever I put into the thing. And so I'm going to put 10 million in I'm going to buy for 10 million. It's going to throw off 10% in cash.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm targeting year two, but if I slip, and I get to year three or four. That still is a very good outcome, right? If you get there by at least a reasonable amount of time, everybody's going to be happy. But you you always try for kind of year two because you don't want to just sit on the thing. You want to.
0: There's a it's it's a very sim- beautiful. There's beauty in the simplicity of this model. I lo- I love this. I mean, this yeah. is something you can do pretty quickly,
1: right? Yeah, and that's just a baseline, right? If you're going for office buildings in San Francisco, it's not going to happen, right? You you better reset that thinking to a five percent. Well,
0: just but and just to be clear the The return might change to the purchase price, but is the, do you think is, does no, the mechanics the, of the figuring out the price on real estate is this pretty close to what most people do?
1: No, I think people treat it completely different. I, some some people probably you know look at it like that, right? But lots of people want to know what is the cash flow right now, and I want to pay a multiple on what it is looking backwards because they want to know they want to have more certainty. They don't want to know where is this they're going to be in a year. They want to know. They want to pay a multiple on what it's done previously. Mm
0: -hmm. I see. So you, you're willing to give yourselves a little credit for improving the performance of the property, but you know maybe more conservative investors might say like I I don't. Maybe I'll improve it. Maybe I won't. Let's just look at what it's doing right now.
1: Yeah, and so I think that brackets what the assumptions that you're willing to to make. Right, I'm not going to make some grandiose assumption about. Oh yeah, we're going to be able to triple rent and. We're going to take the thing from eighty-five percent occupancy to hundred percent occupancy right away. It definitely dampens your your outlook on what you can do. But if you come in with reasonable expectations, assumptions, then I think that that is a that's a better way to invest, and you're going to get more deals that way yep. and, uh, than thinking, oh, I just have to get a ten percent day one or a seven percent or whatever. Because there's lots of variables that go into you know, the the former owner's numbers.
0: Yeah, or maybe yeah. he
1: was paying himself a crazy salary. Maybe he had undermarket rents. That all you need to do is pay for, you know, a 25 or 30, what are are stamps these days? 35 cents. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) You're closer to 50 cents. uh, 50 cents and send out a rent increase notice. And then all of a sudden you're at your eight or nine for year one. Yeah.
0: Okay. But, you know, the the essential mechanics are you start with a targeted return, an annual return. That's that 10% number. And then you look at, all right, how much cash do I think this thing's going to be throwing off in year two? And then you just back into a purchase price. So I, I like the simplicity there. Yeah, um, and there's
1: margin of error in that too, right? Because if you if you don't get there, as long as you're not assuming that you had crazy rent growth or occupancy, then you still feel pretty good at, okay, well, I didn't get to 10, but I'm, I'm at 8, 8.5, and, and maybe we'll get there in the year three. Yeah. And
0: so, how does the sale price factor into these numbers? Like, how do you think about that? You mean the exit price when you go? Yeah. When you, when you exit, sorry, the, uh, when you're selling the property in five, seven, 10 years, how do you, how does that number factor into the numbers we just discussed or does it at all?
1: So, yeah. In my model, I don't factor that in at all. Wow. Right. Because I'm so, in, so pure. Well, it's more of a cash flow type of approach yeah. to investing um, because I, I'm a long term investor. And the company that I run is a long-term thinker. doesn't mean that we won't sell, right? If you get a crazy offer, you, you know, you're fiduciary responsibility. But if you, if you just kind of focus on the cash flow, I think you get in less trouble. Because if you start thinking, oh, we're going to be able to sell this thing for triple than we sold from what we bought it from three years from now. Yeah. Well, then a lot of things can happen. If that's the only way the deal works, that deal can easily blow up and you got the lender calling you to get the keys back.
0: Yeah. that's is it, You're essentially, I guess now that I think about it, it really implies that you're assuming a flat entry and exit price, right? You're saying, I'll buy it for 10 million. This property is going to produce 1 million in year two. I'll make 10% per year, every year until I sell it. And you know I'll probably sell it for around 10 million. And therefore, I would have, my investors, are, I would have made a 10% return on this, right? I mean, this is all unlevered, of course. Yep, I mean that's a, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and you could. I think it's also fair to to think about the exit, especially if you have shorter term money. Maybe your investors want this deal to be over in five years or, or even three. It's fine to think about the exit. Where where I think people get in trouble, sponsors get in trouble, is where they think that they're going to be able to sell the property. For a, a higher multiple, yeah, which is lower cap rate yeah. than what they paid for it. Feels speculative. Yeah. So it's one thing if you have a very clear path to increase the net operating income, right, which is the, the number you're applying that multiple to. That's one thing, right? That's driving growth, right? You're going to keep the same exit multiple. That's fine. But it's when they think, oh, I'm going to be able to market this better or mm. interest rates are going to go lower. Yeah. That's where people get foolish. Yeah. It's interesting.
0: Uh, well, and that I guess that's a good segue into thinking about how I think about how much to pay oh, yeah, for a company. Yeah.
1: Well, how do you? <laughs> <think about laughs> why why don't we? Uh,
0: well, because you know, in, in the so you know, I, you would consider what I'm doing right now, where I'm looking to purchase an operating business, a private company. I mean, it's essentially private equity, and really the name of the game with us is that we re- we want to buy something that we think we can grow and that we can you know get more profits out of over time than it's currently doing, and so you know, for us, so I think the mechanics are similar in the sense that we have a targeted, you know, a target return that we want to make on this deal. Let's call it 30%. Um, and we sort of predict out three, four, five, seven years, you know, call it five. It's typically what we do. We predict out five years, how much cash we think the business is going to throw off. And we think about, okay, how much do we think we can grow it? How our expen- what our expenses going to look like over that five year period, uh, how much profit will that produce and, and that profit's available to distribute to our, our investors? And, and then we kind of back into a price from that number, right? And so we say, look, if, given that we need to make 30% and we think it's going to distribute this amount of money over the next five years, uh, and we think we can sell it for for whatever, um, you know that, that we infer a purchase price from that from those returns. So I think for us, the the way we think about exit price, so exit price factors a lot into our returns, Um, you know, for a lot of uh, these businesses are do generate cash, but uh, a large part of the return is going to come from growing the business and selling it for more than you paid for it in order. The way that we're conservative is that we assume basically a flat multiple on EBITDA or profit. So if we buy a business for six times profit, maybe we triple the size of that business and so you know maybe we triple ebitda but we still assume someone yeah someone's going to pay a six times profit where Yeah, in, that's fair in reality we hope someone will pay more than that cuz yeah, it's yeah. a bigger business and there's more scale but who knows so we just say like we'll just assume a flat entry multiple and exit multiple and so that's our way of trying to be conservative
1: yeah that works really well as long as you didn't grossly overpay for the deal yourself
0: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so that you really want to be careful about that so again we we get it. We have a target return. We predict that what our cash flows are going to be from the business. I would argue that it's a little bit more difficult for us to do this than you, Brad. What do you uh, mean? <laughs> no, no offense. Um, you know, just there's. So, I feel like there's more variables here with the private business and more levers more you can pull. Yeah, and which you know, I call it is maybe it's a you know there's more upside but also more downside. But essentially, you know, getting that model right. You know, we do this in Excel where we have rows and columns of numbers and we you know we try to get pretty smart about it. But at the end of the day. It's not sort of mechanically, it's not terribly different than what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest change I've had over the last, I don't know, five years in thinking about returns is I used to think they were more absolute than they really are. Think, oh, if you you model something out and it looks like it's a a 20 IRR, then that is going to be better than this 15 IRR. (laughs) Right. Right. And I, you know, just, well, it's easy. But the longer I've gotten into running deals and, and being a professional investor, I realized that. That fifteen IRR could be three times as good as that supposedly twenty IRR because it's more
0: likely you're going to hit it. right? It's way
1: more likely, higher probability, and perhaps uh, way less of a headache
0: too. <laughs> good point. I, I don't. Yeah. We should not underestimate just the hassle factor. In oh all my this, goodness, right?
1: the time. I I want to come up with some kind of new. IRR metric that also mm-hmm. adjusts for time involved, uh, in terms of your oh, output, oh, I see. meaning your own time, like your, your personal own time, time like, not the, the, yeah. the time of the money, yeah. your own personal commitment and effort. Yeah,
0: no, that's a good point. So, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think the I think the point that we want to communicate here is that in order to determine how much you want to pay for a company or a piece of real estate, you start with a target return. Like, Hey, how much do I, what, what, what annual percentage return do I want to make on this investment? Um, you know you you predict out the cash flows from that investment you know how much profit and how much cash is going to be available to distribute and then you back into a you know you back into a purchase price based on that combination of that return and how much cash you're going to get each year Um, i don't know if we did a great job explaining that but uh hopefully you guys got it
1: i think we nailed that what are you talking
0: about all right good well so don't overpay for something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't play. Is that us. the tweetable? Yeah, I think. Well, we you know, you and I were just talking about this, but um, you know, a great a great entry price or a great purchase price on an asset can cover up a lot of sins.
1: Well, yeah. So that's actually. Where I think Warren Buffett has shaked out after 50 years of doing this is that somebody asked him once, you know, how does he get comfortable with a lot of these big purchases, right? You know, he buys something that's worth 10 billion dollars, some crazy conglomerate company. How in the world can he get into every business, every aspect of that company, and get a good feel for the due diligence in 90, you know, whatever 120 days when he needs to close? And his response to that was price. Is my due diligence interesting, right? Which is a you know a pretty lazy way of approaching due diligence. <laughs> he got, he is lazy, <laughs> but but he's you know, <laughs> he's, he's eighty. Late. He's seen enough. <laughs> well, he's know, old. Investments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't uh, have a lot
0: of stamina and energy to put into this stuff. He's going to wing it.
1: Yeah. So if it's not a you know a venture deal, and if it's established business or established piece of property, you're pretty sure it's not going to zero, and or some new competitor is going to come in and wipe your your profits away. He's got a great point. You actually can, thinking about price and getting a good deal can make you feel a lot better about the possible risks out there because you have a margin of error.
0: Yeah. Well, I would venture to say that it's a lot easier when you're Warren Buffett and you have his brand and his amount of money. It's a little harder when it's you and me trying to get the best price, but they're out there. Good prices are out there.
1: <laughs> they are. They're certainly a lot harder to find. You know, the, uh, the people who just kind of try to sit back and look at their computer and, you know, look at listings for, from brokers, all day, they're not finding those uh, those great deals at discount prices. But uh, you know, I think the people that the guys and girls that are that are shaking the trees and trying to f- discover these deals are getting value in this market. But it's tougher. Hopefully, we've given you a framework for thinking about you know when these deals do come across your desk. Do you think the sponsor has thought about valuation appropriately and factored in kind of all these assumptions and the probability of, of hitting those returns, uh, or did they just try to tweak the model to make it look like it's a twenty RRR? Yeah, good point. Okay,
0: well, good luck. Appropriately pricing assets out there, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you've made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There, you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.